The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure is good to be with you. Glad you're here. Will you pray with me one more time? I just uh, need God's help, so let's ask him for it. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you speak. We can all come and encounter your voice together. Since I'm teaching this morning, I ask you for your help. Lord, please uh, help me to teach this passage in its truth faithfully and clearly. And Lord, we pray that you would show us what true freedom is in knowing you, and that we'd be transformed, we'd be uh, overjoyed at what you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Two questions I want to start with. They're kind of big. Number one, what is the meaning of life? It's kind of big, right? Uh, You'd want to figure that one out. What What are we here for? What is this all about? Second question is, what is the way you answer the first question? Okay, what is the meaning of life? What is the way you answer that mean for what it means to be free? What does it mean to be free? As Americans, we love freedom, right? So informal poll, how many of you like freedom? Okay, good, that's all of you. The rest of you, we're we afraid of you. Um, we like freedom, but just, just as an example of our confusion, consider the political differences in our nation. Now, I'm being incredibly stereotypical here, okay? I don't, don't need any emails about political things after this. But stereotypically, okay, the left side of the political world wants sexual liberation, I guess more intervention from government, abortion, that's freedom to one way of thinking, stereotypically. On the other side, the political right, Second Amendment, less taxes, stronger military, they want freedom. Which group says they want freedom? This is my point. They both do. And yet we cannot come together on what freedom actually should mean. Do you see the confusion? That's my point here. And part of it is, unless you're on the same page for what life is all about, you're going to have a hard time coming up with what it means to be free. What does it mean to be free? What is the meaning of life? How does the meaning of life, how you answer that question, uh, pertain to your idea of freedom? Uh, Stephen Jay Gould is a Harvard scientist, and he was asked this question about the meaning of life. So he was asked, what is the meaning of life? I want to show you his answer. I think we got an overhead for that. Mr. Gould said, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, is ultimately liberating. We must construct these answers ourselves. Three things to see. He was asked, what is the meaning of life? Three things to see. Number one, he has a bit of a secular view. There isn't, there isn't a 
a holy God over us to whom we must look for meaning. He's not there. And so, he admits, that means there's really not any meaning, okay? It just so happened the fish got the fin and became you. Um, so there's no real meaning. There's no, there's no real story to the universe. And then he admits, this is troubling at first, because you're realizing there's no meaning. <laughs> it's all empty. It's all void. But then he says, actually, it's quite liberating in his view. And why is this so exciting? Well, you get to make it up yourself. You get to invent your own meaning. You get to determine it. And if you get to determine your meaning, well, what does that mean for your freedom? That means you should be totally unhindered because you create meaning. You decide what's right. So, so all, all shackles, all chains should be released because you um, are the authority. And I think what we're looking at here, and goodness knows I'm not um, the only one or the first one to say this, but what we're seeing right here, I think, is one of the great religious doctrines of our, of our age that we live in. This, this is a core belief for our secular culture. We say it like this. As a modern person, I create my own meaning. So freedom means I must be free from all constraints. Free from all constraints to create my own meaning. I think... A lot of Christians have this in their guts. We assume that this is true because it's what we grow up in. I think as Western culture has, has bought onto this completely, I am free from all constraints to create my own meaning. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but has you ever heard this line, hey, I'm free to do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody? You ever heard that one? That's like John's 316 for a secular culture. This is good news. I'm free to do what I want as long as I don't harm anybody. That is this doctrine of you being free from all constraints to, 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 uh, to create your own meaning. That's, that's that doctrine put into practice. Or haven't you noticed our society's incredible enthusiasm for tolerance? Incredible enthusiasm for tolerance. In fact, the one thing that's not tolerated is for you to say... Something is wrong, right? That, whoa, whoa, whoa. The only sin is that sin. Don't you dare say something is wrong. Well, why, why is that such a deep value for so many in our culture? Well, because it's touching on this core belief that we must be totally free to create our own meaning. And if you say somebody's meaning that they've created is wrong, it's as if you're stealing their freedom, you want to put them in the, the moral or religious straitjacket. You have confronted this core doctrine of our culture. You're denying freedom itself because we seem to believe there's no, there's no holy meaning given to us. We have to create our own. And if we create our own, then freedom means no restrictions as I create my own freedom. So for us, how do we respond to this as Christians? What do we do? First of all, you know, as far as you, you're there, you're sitting in the chair. How, how would you answer the question about the meaning of life? Why are you here? I hope you have at least something coming to your mind of, well, I've got a few ideas. 
And then what does it mean for what you believe about freedom? Because you can see why our culture in general is down on the idea of Christianity. Okay? They say, we create meaning. Christianity says, we receive meaning. They say, freedom is freedom with no restrictions. Christianity, have you read the book? There seems to be a couple of restrictions. So it seems from a secular point of view that Christianity is, is a, well, it's coming, again, this, it's coming against this core belief. Christianity threatens freedom. It's shackles. It's chains. Huh. So what do we do with this? You know, what do you believe as a Christian if you are one? Secondly, how are you going to relate to this culture on this issue? We've been studying the past few weeks that we're supposed to be persuaders. Remember? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade others. That means we're going to have to be able to engage beliefs that run at the heart of our culture. We need to engage with beliefs that keep people from considering Jesus. And this idea of freedom is one of these issues. It's a huge issue in our day. So what does Christianity say? And does what we believe have anything to, better to offer than what modern culture is giving? Do we, do we really know, do, do you as a Christian have anything to say about real freedom? As we think about this, we're going to look at uh, the fifth chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, I think in this passage we see two versions of popular but false freedom. Okay, so we're going to see two pictures in this chapter, popular but false freedom. And then we're also going to see what Christianity claims to be the real thing. So two versions of false freedom, the real thing, and then hopefully along the way we can think about how we might want to talk with our culture, our friends, ourselves, when we buy maybe a wrong view of freedom. So let's do it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, notice verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A couple things to see already. What does Paul seem to think about Christianity and freedom? He seems to be saying, this is freedom right here. You know, he would, he would tell you about his old life. And then he'd tell you about the new life he has with Christ. And he'd be like, yo, this new life, freedom. Christianity has never been ashamed to say, this is what it means to be free. Uh, Jesus said this in John 8, 36. Look at this one. Quite a claim, right? So if the Son sets you free, you'll be what? Free indeed. You'll be, if I set you free, Jesus says, that's the real thing. You'll be free. So I guess we need to remember, at, at least start here, that if, uh, what, should Christianity, what should Christianity feel like to you if you are one? You should feel free. You've been set free. There should be the sense of like, yes, the chains are gone. And if you don't ever feel like it's freedom, we're doing it wrong. Because let's be honest, it doesn't always feel like freedom. Why so often is practicing our faith for many of us like, gosh, do I have to do this again? What's going on? 
What's going on? It's supposed to be freedom. Something we're missing, maybe. Something we're not seeing. So it's the first thing to see Christianity claims, like this, this is freedom, right? The second thing is what do Christians tend to do, evidently? Verse 1, what, what does Paul say? It's for freedom Christ set us free. Then he says to this church, stand firm, therefore, and don't go back to being slaves. So evidently a problem with fake freedom isn't just outside the church. Inside the church, what do we tend to do? We've been set free, but we're walking up to the old master. Chain me up again, please. What? And so Paul's saying, look, you got you to get stubborn about your freedom. Huh. We should be the freest people around, but we go back to a false freedom. Why would we, why would we do that? And what does it mean? All right, verse 2. Here's our first version of false freedom. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and then we could just say dot, 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 okay? Accept circumcision. You're like, whoa, why are we talking about that this morning? Well, here's the issue of this letter, okay? Here's the core issue of the letter to the Galatians. The issue in this church is the question of what makes me right with God? So the theological word there is justified. If you're justified, God has looked at you and said, innocent. So it's as if you lived a good life, a perfect life, and it's as if you don't have any sins on your record, totally forgiven. So God would look at you and say, you're good, you're right, you're innocent. Come on, I accept you. Justified. How do you get that? How do you get that? That's the issue in this letter. And the Galatians are saying you get justified by believing in Jesus plus religious performance. And so you'd say, do you believe in Jesus? And they'd say, oh, yeah, plus religious performance. And I'm yelling at the end because that's what they would emphasize. Oh, yeah, Jesus, plus religious performance. That's what would make you right with God. That's what they're saying. And in their case, well, you got to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament law and believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus plus religious performance. That's what would make you right with God. Now, that might not seem very compelling to us today. I haven't had any calls from you being like, do I really have to be circumcised to go to heaven? Uh, But do we fall into this false slavery in a modern context? Oh, my gosh. Plenty of modern versions. In our homes, and our churches, we can emphasize religious performance of some sort as the way to be right with God. There's a host of different ways. Keep the Sabbath. Dress a certain way. Don't watch certain things. Listen to certain things. Um, so many examples, it's hard to land on a couple. But I know many of you have had experiences like this, right? Have you, have you been in that family? Have you been in that church where the emphasis was some list of rules? You have to keep this rule. Or even it would be like what we could call maybe a secondary doctrinal belief, which is important but not the main thing. So, so some church is like, you can't be a member here unless you agree with us on our version of the end times. End times, end times, get a flag, end times. Um, or denomination. How long have you been in the denomination? Do you have the denominational patch? <laughs> denomination, denomination. Let's have a parade. Don't you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, but religious performance. Oh, man, we fall into it so easily, all the time. 
And if you've ever been in an atmosphere like that, you know it does not feel like freedom. Feels oppressive. Everybody's watching you, right? You got the Christian Gestapo. They're Christian binoculars. Did you break the rule? Okay, some of our homes have been like this. Did you break that rule? Jesus plus religious performance. There's no freedom, it's oppression. Um, Here's what it does, right? Here's what it does, It's uh, it's the oldest sin, the inner Pharisee. We create a false standard that we think we can do. And then two things happen to us. Number one, we either get really bloated up prideful because we're like, I kept the rule and I'm good and you broke the rule and you're bad, which makes me feel really awesome in comparison to you. I kept the rules. I'm awesome. Pride, pride. Pride, by the way, which is a, anybody remember? A sin, (laughs) But we get bloated. Ah, I'm better. I know better. I know the facts better. I've done something better. I'm better. Or, if you've been in this kind of an atmosphere, you're just crushed because you're never good enough. You never make it. You'll never keep it just right. You'll never answer just right. You'll never dress it just right. You can't do it, and you're broken. God doesn't, and you get this sense, God, there's no way God can love me. It's over. I'm, I'm dirty. A lot of bitterness and anger comes and hurt. Some people say, I'm done with church forever. I can't even stomach this. Look at verse 15. Paul knows what happens in this false freedom. Verse 15, isn't it interesting? Hey, you guys should be free. But verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When we make some sort of law performance the way to be right, we eat each other for dinner. It's a killer, and many of you are like, yep. It's a false freedom that we could be right with God with religious performance, and Paul gives two real reasons here. He's trying to deflate this hovercraft of false freedom that they have here. He's trying to pop a hole in it, and he gives it two efforts in this passage. First of all, Paul says, if you want to be right with God doing Jesus plus It's like you're doing this without Jesus at all. And look at how strong his language is in verses two to four. I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, look at this next line. Is there a more terrifying line than this? Christ will be of no advantage to you. You want to be right with God based on religious performance? You're on your own. Christ isn't helping you. Verse 3, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you would be justified from the law. You have fallen away from grace. Is severed from Christ? See how he's doing, see what he's doing with circumcision? (laughs) Sever. I know, I know, it gets worse in a few verses. Severed from Christ, you're on your own. You have fallen away from grace. You remember what grace is? The undeserved, lavish love of God for those who don't deserve it. How many of you are like grace addicts? For me, I'm like, 
grace. Need more grace. But if you want to do this, if you want to do it by religious performance, you don't get any grace. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. So you stand before God and you, you show him how perfect of a life you lived. And if you kept every detail just perfect, you followed your rule, oh, okay, you can come in. But listen, it, we don't keep our own silly standards, much less God's. We have done everything that we hate when other people do it to us. Much less his holy commands. I mean, you don't... <laughs> Paul says, you want to do this by law? This is a false freedom. You, won't, you have to earn this perfectly yourself. You can't do it. You can't do it. Second thing he says in verses 7 to 12 is, he's trying to pop a hole in their self-righteous, religious rule-keeping. Second thing he says is, you're missing the entire point of the cross. Why did Jesus die? Listen, the next time you talk to somebody from any other religion, who claims to like Jesus and they think they're gonna get right with God by what they do, ask this question. If you can do that, why did Jesus die? What's the point? He should have just been like, go guys, go, keep the rules. Why did he die? Now, so the first few verses, Paul's angry at the, at the teachers who are promoting this Jesus plus way to be right with God. Verse 7, you were doing well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So this, you're not getting this idea that you can be right with God by following religious rules from God. He didn't say this. Verse 9, little leaven leavens the whole lump. You got, we got a nasty yeast in our bread loaf. What's that? Well, this guy's teaching you can be right with God by religious performance. It's messing us up. And the one who, verse 10, he's going to bear his penalty, whoever he is. Um, he's into circumcision, huh? And then look what he says in verse 12. Here's what we're all like. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You want to do circumcision? Just keep cutting. That's what he said. And you're like, whoa, I didn't think Christians were supposed to talk like that. <laughs> Should Paul be angry right here? How serious is this? Man, this is, if you're ever going to stand up and fight for anything, this is it right here. Paul says earlier in the letter, we're fighting over this so we can preserve some sort of a gospel for you later. If we lose this, we lose everything. Miss the whole point. If you think you can be right with God by believing Jesus and religious performance, um, that's just poison. It'll kill you. It doesn't work. It's terrible. And so when he says, I wish he'd emasculate himself, you know, there's, there's some symbolic things there. You can't have any kids, which means he would have no followers in this case, right? I wish his argument would, would kill itself, is what he's saying. I wish it would have no future. I wish it would be over. I wish it would be done. I wish, it would, I wish his own folly would be evident and that we wouldn't follow this anymore. That's what he's saying, right? Because it misses the point of the cross. Look at verse 11. Brothers, if I still preach persecution, why am I being persecuted? What, little background, what happens to Paul when he preaches about Jesus in a Jewish synagogue? A couple people believe, and the rest try to beat him up. That's what happens. A couple people believe, the rest try to kill him. If he's walking in and going, hey, follow the religious law just like you always did, no one believe in Jesus too. 
And I'll be like, okay. But that's not what he says. He says, all your law keeping doesn't work. You never kept it right. You need the only one who's ever kept it right to keep it for you. He's your only hope to be saved. That's why they tried to kill him. Why is the cross so offensive? See in verse 11, in that case, the offense of the cross would be removed. Why is the cross so offensive? You ever had somebody be honest with you, confront you about something? Maybe one or two of you, you're very humble and you're like, thank you so much for sharing. And the rest of us, oh yeah, well you, you know what I'm saying? Defensiveness. Later on you were like, I think they were right a little bit. Maybe that only happened in your own head. I think they were right a little bit. But at the time it was like, ah, I don't like it either. It breaks my pride, which evidently I still have a lot of. And what breaks pride like the cross? Where are you going to get pride deflated like the cross? You ever wondered why Jesus didn't get his hand slapped for you? Jesus wasn't grounded for the weekend to save you from your sins. No more chocolate chip cookies for Jesus. Got to save you from your sins. Why did he not receive a light punishment? No internet for Jesus for a month. Because the punishment we deserve for our sins looks like the wrath of God on a cross. That's what I deserve. That's how evil I've been. I don't always want to hear that. I need him to pay for my sins. And not only he's saying, Paul is saying, you can't, you can't be saved by your works. It makes you helpless, doesn't it? What can you do to be like, God, you must accept me? How, can't you earn it somehow? Carry something up a mountain? Memorize something? Every time God's like, no, mm-mm, not good at, no, nope. But I was, I was better than that person. Don't care, not the standard. Nope, nope. What can I do to save myself? Uh, nothing. What do I do now? There's one way you look to the one who did it all in your place. That's it. He kept the law every time. Tempted in every way without sin. He was good. He was beautiful. He was perfect. Every time, every way, he'll give that to you if you look to him for it. Isn't that awesome? If you're prideful, you don't like it. If we humble ourselves, we're like, this is a sweet deal. I'll take it. So you mean I can be perfectly righteous in God's sight just by trusting in Jesus to do it for me and not relying on myself, confessing the reality of myself and looking to him, and he'll make me right with God? Yeah. Where do I sign up? That's why the cross has its difficulty. It humbles us. Here's Paul's conclusion. Look at Galatians 2, 16. How do we get right with God? We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see him hammering it 
So do you get justified by works of the law? No. How do you know you're right with God? I went to church. Eh. I was a good person. Eh. What would you say? Jesus did it for me. Beautiful. Bingo. Paul's point is trying to make yourself right with God by emphasizing religious rules is slavery. Freedom is looking at what Jesus has done. That's one false version of freedom. Look at another, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Very interesting here. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. All right, now I'm free. I'm set free. I don't have to keep the law perfectly. Sweet. Don't, oh, there's another danger. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, what is the flesh? Uh, I like to say the flesh is the orientation of the heart. Okay, so it's an attitude. It's desires. That dethrones God as God. Let's get him out of the way. And replaces him with self. I'm going to do it instead. Free. I do what I want. Doesn't that sound like the modern version of freedom? What was the modern version again? I create my own meaning. So I'm free from all restrictions. I am free to follow me. I, I decide. Flesh. It's about me. I'm free. Give me what I want. I'm free, I deserve. I'm free, get out of my way. Uh, hmm. What do you think of this modern view of freedom? Free from all constraints to invent my own meaning. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller has a great chapter dealing with this issue in his book on preaching. Share some of his thoughts with you. I think they'll be obvious. One is, this modern view of freedom, and again, we're going through this right now so that we can be persuaders. We need to talk about this. One is, this modern view of freedom is unreasonable. Unreasonable. So, again, you remember Mr. Gold, right? Uh, if there's no transcendent God, then really there's no meaning. Right? And if there's no meaning, then I create my own. What just happened there? There's no meaning... And I create my own. Hold up. What? There's no meaning. Did you catch that no meaning part? And I create my own. Listen, if you're already meaningless, then any meaning you create is also meaningless. See, unicorns, lucky charms, lightsabers, meaning. Catch my drift. It's not real. You know, I, I used to actually worry, because people aren't always impressed when you're a pastor. Some people are like, sweet. Other people are like, that's weird. <laughs> and I, I've been insecure about that sometimes before, and I've actually had the thought, boy, if atheism is true, I'm totally wasting my life. But you know what? If atheism is true, it's impossible to waste your life. So if atheism is true and there's no holy God and I live my life as a pastor telling everybody about God, when the universe blows up and it's all cold and dark, who cares? No one remembers. No one cares. 
your truth and my truth and our great passions and our political views and our moral concerns, who cares? There's no meaning. If you create your own meaning, there is no meaning. It's irrational. It doesn't work. Second thing, it's untenable or it doesn't play. That view of freedom doesn't play. It doesn't work. Okay, so we're saying, okay, I want freedom with no restrictions. Get off me restrictions. I make my own meaning. I'm free. Okay. Imagine an Olympic athlete, and this lady can run, right? And she is far more free when she runs than you are. She runs fast, and she runs long, and she runs hard, and she wins. She is free. She runs like a deer. And you and I, yeah. When she runs, she's more free than you. And when you eat, you're more free than she is. Krispy Kremes, another Christmas cookie. And when you have your leisure time, you're more free than she is. She was out there sweating and working and eating lettuce. And you're watching TV and having another cup of hot cocoa. Do you see the point? How did she get this freedom to run? It was wise restrictions. Oh, freedom is never a total lack of restrictions. True freedom comes with wise restrictions based on what you're made for, based on what you're doing. Oh, that is, that's so important. Freedom includes wise restrictions. So this view of a modern freedom, I make it up, no restrictions, it's irrational. It also doesn't work. Third, doesn't it seem a little self-centered? I create my meaning so that I can be free to do what I want to do. Are you hearing the me monster? Me, 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 I. I, me, me, I, 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 me. Uh, if I exist to, to have my freedom at any cost, the rest of you get out of the way. I'm a runaway truck. I'm free! Okay. In Tim Keller's book, he, he mentions the writings of a guy named Luke Ferry, who interestingly enough is an atheist. And he's writing about how self-created meanings are more selfish. So think about this. For instance, we may decide to give our lives to serve the medical needs of the poor, but why within a secular framework is that significant? In that case, we are actually helping sick people for our own sake, not theirs. It helps me feel meaningful and significant and important and good. That's why I do it. Me. Me, me, me. I. I, me. My freedom. My meaning. Is, is that the kind of freedom we're looking for? Self-infatuation? Self-love? That's what our culture is giving us. So this, this modern view of freedom doesn't work. Why? Uh, it's irrational. Number two, it doesn't play out in real life. Freedom includes wise restrictions. Number three, super selfish. And this leads up to this bottom line idea. The modern, the modern version of freedom can't handle love. Can't handle love. Can you remember being so full of love for someone? In love with someone. Or just so full of love for someone. Um, what did you do with all your freedom for that person? 
Moms, what'd you do with your freedom for that baby? Your freedom took a nosedive. Do you remember? It's gone. It's gone. And you did it willingly, and you did it holding them, saying, oh, because you loved them. Fellas, when that girl, you're like, oh, I must have her, right? I gave away all freedom. I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want it anymore. There's a different view of freedom for me now. I want to belong to that lady, right? Freedom, and, and, and when you love someone, that, then, you're, then you're like, this is real freedom right here. I've arrived. Love. And it's full of restrictions, self-imposed restrictions. And you're saying, I'm finally free. Don't you see? A modern view of freedom, all based on self, pushing God out of the way, it can't love. That's why Keller gives this quote. I thought it was really interesting on how a modern person looks at marriage. I think I have a slide for you. A late modern person wants a spouse who accepts me as I am and neither demands that you change nor requires you to sacrifice any of your own substantial desires, interests, and dreams. Huh, this kind of marriage is what? Fiction. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's not love. It's not real. There's no freedom. A freedom that can't love, what do you think of it? I think it stinks. We can keep their modern, self-made, no restrictions freedom. It's not freedom. What does Christianity have to say? What, what, what do we have to offer that's better? We've seen false freedoms of religious performance and then this like self-centeredness, I make it. Here's the real thing. You see it a few places in this chapter. Look at verse five. For through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything only faith working through love. You're getting a picture here of freedom. Uh, just as background, what is the meaning of life? What does that mean for freedom? Well, don't you think true freedom is tied to the idea of design? That's why we have to ask the meaning of life. What are you made for? That's how you know you're free. So imagine a massive tuna ripping through the depths of the ocean feasting upon his prey. Imagine the same tuna flopping on the deck, slowly dying from no oxygen. Uh, where is the tuna free? The tuna can't be like, yo, I want to be a mountain climber. It's my greatest dream. I'm just going to get up there and see the clouds. That is what it would mean to be truly free. Well, that's ridiculous, of course, because he's made for the middle of that blue ocean. You can't understand freedom unless you understand design and purpose. What are you made for? That's, this is the issue. What are you made for? Why are you here? Well, the Bible tells us we were made for fellowship with God, to know him as our friend, our father, our king to see his beauty, to enjoy relationship with him, to be satisfied in him, and, yeah, like any loving relationship, to enjoy wise restrictions for the sake of love. Of course, we become slaves to sin 
right? Slaves to sin. You don't need chains around your ankles to be a slave. Sin is this rebellious desire. It controls us just as badly as any addict to a chemical, doesn't it? You've had some poisonous desires. You know they were wrong. You went back again and again. You repented. You said you're sorry. Didn't want to do it. And you did it again. Me too. I'm free. Not always. Not totally. Self-centered freedom, slaves to the crowd, slaves to our wrong desires, slaves to these rules. Only God's grace can set you free. Only God's grace can set you free. When Paul says in verse 5, through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He's building on this case that has Jesus doing everything to earn our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. And then for all who trust in him, we receive the promised Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is the one who has changed our hearts to enable us to choose and trust Christ. And he fills us now. It's like he turns the light on in our salvation to where we want God. We see his beauty. And we see that his rules are good, that his ways are right. Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. God's going to do it for us. He's going to make it happen. And the Spirit enables us to live in freedom and fellowship with him. And so, we now see how this works out. Through the Spirit, we eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't count. What counts? Verse 6. Faith... Working through what? Love. Love. Isn't true freedom? Love with wise restrictions. Our faith in Jesus is shown in our love. Look at verses 13 to 14. You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, but what? Through love, serve one another. The selfish freedom, me, me, I, rights, me, 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 I, get out of the way, give me what I, I want, I'm free. That's not freedom. Slavery. Who God is changes everything. Wouldn't you say God is the freest dude around <laughs> Is God free? God is also love. The Father loves the Son, delights in His Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit is the, the person of their love. Father, Son, and Spirit, God is love. And God, being free, gave His Son freely gave his son in love. And the son freely gave himself, his life, for you. And the father and the son have given us the spirit. What is God doing in his freedom constantly? Giving himself. Giving for others. Giving for you. 
giving himself to you. That's true freedom. It's the freedom of love. And so when we are changed by the Spirit and we see who Jesus is and what he's done and we believe that, we get to live in that same freedom. God has given himself to us in love. And so now freedom is no more I, 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 me. I have what I need in the love of God. And now freedom is through love, do what? Serve. Free to give yourself for the benefit of others. Freedom. You know, I, I asked you earlier if your Christianity feels like freedom to you. doesn't always for me. Sometimes we, we can't, quite, can't quite grab on to what we're supposed to have had. But I think part of the issue is seen in 1 John 5, 3. Will you read this with me? Just one simple line. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God. Well, which is it? Is it our love for God or God's love for us? Is this a trick question? I think it's both. Can you see his love for you again? Can you see it? He loves you. You need proof? One special place. He gave his son for you. Didn't do that if he didn't love you. He loves you. This is, can you see his love Oh, he's loved me so much. And by the way, I didn't have to do religious performance to get it. I'm loved by grace. This is the love of God. And when you see he loves you, you got to start here. Start here. He loves me by grace through Christ. When you see he loves me, I, I want to respond with what? God, I love you. Your ways are right. You're beautiful. Oh, and help me love these people too. And all of a sudden, what happens with his commands? The restrictions. The straight jacket. No, it's not straight jacket. It's a way to live out love. It's don't commit adultery, a straight jacket. It is if you're a slave to your lustful desires. But if you want to love God and love others, integrity, faithfulness, that's freedom. And it works that way for all his commands. This is the love of God. We keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we gotta see God's love for us again and the wisdom of love and his commands. I'll close with this. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verses 30 to 32. It says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame I will run in the way of your commandments. And the ESV says, when you enlarge my heart, and maybe a better or more clear translation would be, for you have set my heart free. I'm free, God, in your gracious love for me. And now I, your commands are like a highway I'm speeding on. Bzzah. I'm free. I'm free. This is what you were made for, to know God, 
Enjoy fellowship with him. It happens through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And when you see his love for you that sets you free, free from the law that you couldn't keep, free from this addiction to self, freedom to enjoy love, loving him, loving others, that's true freedom. May you be persuaded, may you find it, and may we persuade this confused world as to what true freedom really is. Let's pray. Father, set us free today. We thank you for the freedom that we have objectively. In Christ, we are loved through faith in him. You've made us right with you. You've forgiven us of our sins. God, give us a a sense of how great it is to be loved by you again. Uh, Show us the beauty strength of your commands, and let us see that freedom is walking uh, in your word, in your ways. Let your commands not be burdensome to us, but a passion. Let us experience what you've saved us to. Enjoy it. And Lord, let us show a confused world that's denying you and running from you. Show them uh, what true freedom really is. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.